since brevity is the soul of wit. More of your conversation would infect my brain. Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? To speak of him as my kinsman, he's a most notable coward, an infinite and endless liar, an hourly promise breaker, the owner of no one good quality worthy your lordship's entertained. I'd beat thee, but I should infect my hand. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. The course of true love never did run smooth. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Aiden. And we are the Bix. And today we have a very special panel of illustrious guests to talk all about the topic of teaching Shakespeare. Oh, you want Are me to go to next? Talk oh. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I was, I was hoping Lindsay would pick it up and say, because I'm the teacher, I'd do a nice little introduction here. No, well, yeah, I mean, like I, yeah. So, yeah, that, that, yeah. I am, I am a teacher. We, we've established that on our podcast uh, several times, but I didn't want to be the one to um, do all the talking this episode. And it's nice to get other teachers and talk to other educators and, and people who are involved in, in, I guess. Uh, spreading the gospel of, of William Shakespeare um, mm-hmm. to, to talk about the different strategies and, and challenges and the rewards and, and everything about um, uh, teaching Shakespeare. So this is why uh, we've asked um, our, our two wonderful guests. Thank you so much for joining us. We've got Francis and Rachel joining us. Um, so say hello, guys. Maybe Francis will let you go first. Yeah. Uh, hello. Um, <laughs> uh yeah, so I'm uh, Francis. I'm uh, a teacher in England, in the UK. So um, obviously, it's where Shakespeare's from. So yeah. we have this whole thing where you have to study him. Uh, it's not optional. Um, I've taught for. Um, I've been a teacher for about four years. I was trying to work everything out earlier and sort of make a timeline of, of what's gone on. Um, so I was a teaching assistant for two years, supporting pupils in their English lessons, and then. I've taught for four years and then this year I've recently moved to a new school. Um, the area I live in is Essex. Um, it's east of London and it's very, very diverse. So um, in terms of income and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the area I live in is sort of perhaps slightly more impoverished, um, mm-hmm. whereas uh, other areas um, are much more wealthy. Um some like UK sort of listeners will be cringing at the thought of a teacher even like existing in Essex because of TV <laughs> programs and stuff based around here because we've got like the Jersey Shore sort of thing. The only yeah. way is Essex and things like that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, and I'm a secondary school teacher. So that means I work with students who are in the UK. We'd call them Key Stage 3 and Key Stage 4. Okay. Um, it gets even more confusing because that's that means years 7 to years 11. So that's pupils who are aged between 12 and 16. Okay. Um, key stage one and two is what we would call like primary and junior schools. Okay. Key stage three and four is what we would call secondary or high schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and then key stage five is colleges or sixth forms if they're attached to a secondary school. Um, right. So key stage five. Yeah. So at the end of their time with me, they sit their GCSE exams, which are their big ones. And mm-hmm. they're set sort of kind of nationally. Um but there's different examples you can choose from. Um, so you get a choice of sort of, 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 in a way you get a choice of what exam you do, but you have to make that choice far be, way before the kids do it. And then um, 
in Key Stage 5, they call that their A-levels, and that's kind of their ticket into university. Yeah. So it's it's staggered. So if they don't do well in their GCSEs, they'll struggle to go to college. Well, this is what we tell the kids anyway. <laughs> if they don't do well in their GCSEs, they'll struggle to go to college, and then that will mean they struggle to go to university. Mm. Um, I'm aware a lot of your audience will think of college more as what we call university. Yeah. 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 That, that's definitely the case in Canada. It's, it's uh, high school is kind of your 18... Uh, after that, it's you have a, men, a number of options available, but there's no necessary college or, or university. It's kind yeah. of uh, your education's wrapped up at that point for a lot of people. So um, that's interesting. It's a very different system. Yeah. Um, and sorry, we were not going to let you get away with it, but uh, we always ask our guests this question. Uh, what is your favorite Shakespeare play personally? Uh, it doesn't have to be to teach. What's your favorite one to watch? Um I will tell, I, I can give you an interesting story about uh, the teaching side of this later, but my absolute favourite is Titus Andronicus. Oh, uh, yes! Uh, <laughs> yeah. Love it. Um, I get real excited about Titus Andronicus. <laughs> yeah. well, we might know the answer to that question for a year then. Uh, so, Rachel, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your experience teaching Shakespeare and a little bit maybe about your students and, and the setup uh, down. You're, you're in the United States. I didn't. I forgot to ask which state you're actually teaching in, but... Um, um, well, so I, currently live, I currently live in Oregon. Um, so my name is Rachel. I actually went to school specifically for Shakespeare. I studied at the American Shakespeare Center in Stanton, Virginia, where I got my Master of Letters and Master of Fine Arts in Shakespearean dramaturgy. And I studied pedagogy and directing uh, because I don't like money and I never <laughs> wanted to make any <laughs> Um, I would not recommend this as an educational choice for anyone who lives in the United States. Uh, I'm still paying back my student loans, but I loved every minute of it. And since then, I've done a lot of teaching, but more from a theatrical side than a secondary education side. So most of the work I've done teaching Shakespeare has been to teenagers mm -hmm. and generally as in an after school or summer camp capacity. So okay. I used to run a youth Shakespeare um, after school enrichment program in rural Oregon, middle of nowhere. They had <laughs> no theater programs there in this town yeah. at all. So I got all the kids who loved theater um, to come to this teen center after school once a week and do a Shakespeare play with me for oh, the whole awesome. year and then we would perform it and it was adorable. Um, and then <laughs> after I moved out of that tiny rural area and now I live in a much more, well, I live in a college town in okay. the middle of Oregon now. Um, and so now I do um, some after school stuff, but I just wrapped a summer camp with uh, where we taught teens how to mm -hmm. do Shakespeare. So I come from a performing angle much more. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then in my personal work, I do a lot of directing and dramaturgy and acting and like really anything Shakespeare. I'm the Shakespeare person in town. Um, <laughs> my favorite, it's so hard to say. It's usually like, <laughs> like I have a handful. Um, I, I, okay. I have two answers. One is that a Midsummer Night's Dream is the most perfectly crafted of the place. You oh can't, you can't mess this play up. It, it will always be funny, no matter how incompetent the actors are. So that is the purest form. But my favorite play is probably King Henry VI Part Three, um, okay. And I'm about oh, to direct right. a conflated adaptation of the Henry VI plays. So that is why that is so high level in my oh, mind. Fun. 
the Titus Andronicus, I've got an adaptation of that that I'm going to direct at some point too. And I love Titus Andronicus. So good choice, Francis. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. Definitely. Yeah. We, uh, I remember when we watched it, we're like, this is dark, but also really good. <laughs> like it's, yeah, it's one of those plays. It's like, Ooh, this is early Shakespeare, but it's still, uh, still pretty enjoyable. So. Like, like oh, Shakespeare, yeah. Tarantino mix. It's nice. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. 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 It needs to, um, uh, for me, because I'm, uh, uh, it's all I suppose it's lucky in a sense because Rachel is um sort of on the opposite end of me because I, mm-hmm. I value more the written word of Shakespeare than yeah. the uh drama side of things uh the thought of having children act in my classroom <laughs> frightens me um <laughs> oh, but <laughs> of course I've, it, yeah yeah well, of course Especially I've, I've done if it they can stab each other yeah um <laughs> that's all they want yeah um yeah we've done uh, of course like i've done those kinds of things um but for me uh titus uh i think is the clearest example of a play that has to be seen Mm -hmm. to really understand you know just the level Mm -hmm. of violence that's going on yeah yeah Yeah, it's one thing to say like they gouge out her eyes or cut out her tongue or whatever and it's (laughs) another thing to like have them do it on stage like yeah yeah, definitely, definitely. All right. Well, um, we wanted to get started uh, after the introductions with our kind of like before you even get in the classroom or on the stage with the kids or, you know, in the community hall. Um, how do you start off uh, planning for a Shakespeare unit? I mean, Rachel, your your full focus is on Shakespeare. So this might be a, you can just speak generally. But uh, Francis, like what, what do you uh, do you is it a big unit uh, the, the Shakespeare component, you mentioned that, uh, they have to, they have to study it in England. Um, so what does that look like? Do you, do you plan out everything on paper? Do you have like, uh, you know, Lindsay can probably speak more to this, but like, do you, uh, you know, da- drop a lesson plan with individual days and you've got everything sorted down to like the, the hour, or is it more just like, okay, kids, we're going to talk about this today like how do you kind of approach it from a very high level especially uh, i think with with the the kids that you're talking about you you mentioned it's a little bit more impoverished so i'm I'm actually really curious to find out from you francis how um how you approach it uh and getting those kids like how do you hook them in at the very beginning with their varied backgrounds and then yeah obviously rachel you can speak to it from a um a drama perspective yeah um yeah so in the UK, I guess the best place to start when it's, when it's um, talking about planning, um, it's the same sort of for planning any English lessons. In my experience, so I've worked uh, in in six years, I've worked in two schools and then uh, during my training did a placement at a school that did Shakespeare very differently to how okay. uh, how the other two had uh, did it. And then during COVID, I got a chance to, to experiment even more. Um, and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll sort of mention that a bit later. But um you get a national curriculum in the UK and it's something that schools have to provide for the children. Um, so key stage three, so the the lower age groups uh, that I teach, um, which are sort of 12 to 14 years old, have to study two Shakespeare plays wow. um, during that three years. And then in key stage four, they have to study one. And when they study that one in key stage four, they have to answer a, uh, a question about it and they're their English GCSE, their literature portion of that, um, which is an extended essay. And I'm fairly certain that's the same in all exam boards as well, that that there is always a Shakespeare essay. Um, The 
so, so because you have to do it, the, the way it's sort of, most schools, in my experience, divide it up is um, you have three terms in England and each of those can be, then be divided into half terms. Okay. A term, a half term is, say, six to eight weeks because it varies um, slightly uh, throughout the year. And then um, so each term you basically have around sort of 12 to 14 weeks. Okay. Um, so uh, in my experience, it's... Um, during those three years you just make sure that you do a term on one Shakespeare play a term on another Shakespeare play and then in key stage four when they're in uh, when they're between 15 and 16 um, you tend to spread it out over the two years and constantly you refer back to it okay. the most um, commonly uh, chosen play so so teaching in England is uh, in a sense a little bit personal most schools you can um most schools share what, like a scheme of work, so they might have uh, set lesson plans that you then take and adapt for your your classes. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, my passion is in the higher ability pupils, so I would sort of make them significantly more challenging where I can. Sure. And then on the other end, uh, it can go the other way. There are mm-hmm. some schools that sort of don't do that so much. They might just give you the topic for the week and then you have to plan that week's worth of lessons yourself. Okay. Um, so it is very different depending on what school you're in. Um, okay. In my experience, it's always been a mix. And thankfully, people have always been happy for me to throw in my own lesson plans <laughs> uh, yeah. when I want to. Um, so that's kind of how it works. Um, with um, the GCSE exam at the end of year 11, which is a really big deal in the UK, your GCSE results. Um, The schools get to choose, and you can even actually choose it for your own classes in some schools. So in some schools, maybe uh, one teacher is really, really interested in Romeo and Juliet, and Mm -hmm. they've taught it for 30 years or whatever, so they all just carry on doing that, whereas the teacher next door to them might teach Macbeth. Um, uh, The reason that I highlight them too is Macbeth is the most popular play studied in the UK. Mm Uh, okay. for GCSD yeah. um, I would assume Romeo and Juliet's a close second because that's mm-hmm. what I did when I was at school and whenever I talk to people they always know Romeo and Juliet um, yeah. if they even if they don't know anything else um, the other ones that you could I, I think the only other one that's common between all exam boards that I could notice when I was uh, going through the different things to prepare for this uh, I think was just the Merchant of Venice okay which is interesting mm-hmm. um, yeah. because um sort of yes yeah, so i think macbeth and um romeo and juliet are so significantly more straightforward mm-hmm. um yeah. that i wonder why any teacher would put themselves through that with <laughs> teenagers who aren't interested in shakespeare mm. um and then That's a um, choice. yeah and then the tempest comes up quite often as well oh, okay. mm-hmm. yeah, um, sure. typically in my experience the tempest is one that people do in uh, key stage three like in the lower years um and then for key stage three it's just got to be two shakespeare plays as far as mm-hmm. i'm aware uh, i've never been like a head of department so i've never got to choose but typically it will be like the tempest a midsummer night's dream uh mm-hmm. 12th night is another really popular one for key stage three okay. um so hopefully yeah hopefully that gives you some idea yeah mm-hmm. um of the way it works so it's essentially like it's a requirement like pupils have to do it it doesn't matter what their ability is where they come from yeah um if you if you live within England at least, you do you have to study Shakespeare. Yeah, uh, you're getting those three plays. Regardless. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, um, I'm not. Um, I did try to find out, but no one got back to me. Um, but the at key stage two, which is when uh, people are between eight and eleven years old, I don't know. I, I 
I don't like reading the key stage two national curriculum because it's so different to what I normally teach. It freaks yeah. me out. But um, the uh, I don't I can't remember what the requirements are for Shakespeare before they reach me. But most pupils are aware of the stories. Um, really? So yeah, um, a lot of teachers in in key stage two. So I, it must it might be a part of the national curriculum at that level. I've yeah. never needed to know because it's you know. Um, yeah. But I would assume that it, it is. Um, in my my few years of experience so they um yeah lots of pupils do come and like you'll be reading the tempest and then like uh they might say you know um oh caliban i've heard of him he's like the half man half fish right and it's like oh that's really interesting that you know that at 11 years old um but if they when they do do it at key stage two it's always always abridged uh storybook versions um which um yeah you know it's fine at that level because it doesn't affect their exams or anything like that I find that so fascinating too because like I I also teach around the same age that you do Francis Mm. and um and I think the I, I I could be wrong on this but I haven't taught high school in quite a while but I think the requirements start in grade 10 and so that would be around age 15 and it's only for like the the upper stream classes so like the higher classes I guess where they yeah. would they're required to study one Shakespeare play a year and that's it so really most kids in Alberta anyway where the curriculum is set provincially um, would really only get three Shakespeare plays total and it's really uncommon for under age 15 to have any Shakespeare taught at all. I've done it in grade nine. And it's funny, you guys were laughing at Merchant of Venice. That was actually the very first Shakespeare play I ever taught was the Merchant of Venice to a grade 10 class. I know. And I was in (laughs) my teacher training. No, it was, it was actually, it was a really funny story because I was teaching like an IB class, like an international baccalaureate. Yes, IB. I was an IB kid. Were you? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So they loved it. Like they really got into it. We, we had just done Medea. We like, like we had done a whole bunch of really like high level stuff at age 15. So it was a different kind of thing, but it's really, really rare to under grade 10 to study Shakespeare. Um, So like to know that kids at the age of eight or nine might be learning about it. But then again, England is the birthplace of Shakespeare. So it would seem (laughs) kind of strange if you didn't. So it is mandated here, but it's just not mandated to the same level, I guess. So Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can send if you want to read it afterwards. I can send you over the uh, national curriculum. Oh, that would just, be fantastic. They're online and they're public and everything. Yeah, um, that would be great. Because you, it's easy to lose yourself in them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the um, yes, by the time they're fifteen, sixteen, you would expect them to to know relatively well, actually, three Shakespeare plays. Yeah, and and to probably. I mean, whenever I've taught it in year seven, which is pupils who are like eleven, twelve ish, um, they whenever I've done it I've always just used Shakespeare's original language yeah um and that's it so yeah by the time they're 15 16 you you sort of expect them to to know of yeah three plays like really well Um, and obviously by the time they're 16 they should be like absolute professionals in uh in Macbeth usually for me uh because that's a, a nice one to teach So Rachel, going to the United States now, which is, I think, much more closer to Canada in terms of curriculum and and how things are are laid out. How do you approach it? Because I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that the kids that you're teaching probably aren't as familiar with Shakespeare as the kids Francis is teaching. Um, 
So that that varies wildly okay. depending on where I have been teaching. So, okay. And and the age groups. Mm-hmm. Usually, if I'm teaching teenagers, um, I get some kids who have studied it in school and hated every minute of it. Yep. And then sometimes I'll get some kids who are homeschooled and they think Shakespeare's pretty cool. Okay. And then I'll get some kids who have seen some Shakespeare. Probably they've seen Romeo plus Juliet. Yep. And they think that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So I'll have I'll have this mix. Now when I when I worked in rural Oregon, the Shakespeare knowledge was pretty tabula rasa. Um, except sort of this vague idea that like that is a thing boring people do <laughs> when they go down to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Because right. the Oregon does have an internationally renowned Shakespeare Festival. So yes. it is a little it's in people's heads. Like yeah. if people have consciousness of like Shakespeare is a thing. Mm-hmm. People think Oregon is impressive for having this thing to do with Shakespeare, but not everybody is super excited about it. Right. Um so usually step one for me is convincing because unlike with Francis, who has a captive audience, um, I have to convince <laughs> the children that this is worth their time right? Um, because they could leave. This is an after school mm-hmm. program or this is a summer camp that is completely optional. Yep. They could just be like, nope, I'm not here. Um, summer camp less likely because their parents paid money for it and they're right. probably going to show up whether or not they want to, but like an after school program, <laughs> yeah. no, they could just go back and play Minecraft right. in, in the main teen center room. Um, so I also feel like performing Shakespeare because of my ba- graduate school background is really only possible if you understand the context mm-hmm. and if you understand the language, which means mm-hmm. I have to lay a, I have to lay a foundation first. Mm-hmm. So I do have a curriculum or pieces of a curriculum for doing that. It's not mm-hmm. just immediately like, all right, we're going to get on our feet and do some Shakespeare. No, yeah. like <laughs> I have, I have PowerPoints, which, um, <laughs> which is another thing. Like I have to convince the kids. I'm like, no, no, no. I swear to God, this is not going to be a boring PowerPoint. Just, <laughs> just give me, just give me a minute. Just trust Stick with me. me. <laughs> Stick with me. Stick with me. We're gonna talk about Shakespeare. It's gonna be fun. I swear to God. So I do a lot of that in my yeah. first uh, in my first sessions, um, and then the powerpoints I use are very image and meme heavy yep. to sort of get to get the kids on board. Yeah. Um, and so what I try to focus on is the pieces of the history that I think will be interesting to them, and then mm-hmm. I sneak in the important information. Right. So like we talk a lot about, for instance air baiting and yeah. executions because that's what they want they want the blood they want the guts they want the dick jokes yeah and then you slip in the the useful information that is actually going to help them perform right um so i do have like a bank of powerpoints that i use for mm-hmm. these things and but i try to tailor it very much towards the kids and also like i'm an actor so mm-hmm. I just pull stuff out of my ass all the time. So like I'll I'll have like a skeleton, but most of the content that I then fill in is just like, okay, well this is what y'all are into. So we're going to, we're going to sort of lean towards this because unlike Francis, I don't have a, I don't have like a a national level curriculum I have to hit. I'm just like, here children, I'm going to hopefully get you to think Shakespeare is rad by the time I'm done with you. Yeah. Um, 
It's a little more then, improv, a little less, a little less planning. Exactly. Especially because my kids are not going to be graded in any way, except that they have to get on a stage and do Shakespeare in front of a whole lot of people, which right. is its own kind of test, really. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, different kind of grading, different For kind sure. of judging. Um, and so teaching them to understand the words they're saying is the main the big focus of the teaching that I do. And then also mm-hmm. we, we do some very basic um, line scansion and learning about the way that the verse functions. Yep. I, mm-hmm. I don't do as much with that with teenagers that I would do with adult actors because yeah. that really starts to get into the technical weeds. Yeah. And like, mm-hmm. they are capable, as long as they know what they're saying, they're capable of performing it pretty well, even if they don't quite understand how the verse works. Like we do talk about iambic pentameter mm-hmm. and we talk about the difference between like a trochee and an I am and a feminine ending, but we really don't go further than that. And we don't right. talk about alliteration or any of the other rhetorical devices because mm-hmm. that's just too much for them at that yeah. point. And they have too much to keep straight in their heads. Um, but like, they do love learning to beat out iambic contaminator, especially when I let them like kick boxes, which is one of the ways I teach them to, uh, <laughs> to learn how to feel the beat is they get to kick a box across oh, the room. Oh, that's so a great exciting. idea. Yeah, my um, one of my dear friends. I was out with her uh, yesterday, and she's a, a bit older, and she but she works really with just just lower ability pupils, um, and she uh, lots of pupils with special needs and stuff, and she always teaches sort of iambic pentameter with um a pair of coconuts, you know, <laughs> like nice. a Monty Python, very cool um, kind of thing. I love it. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, it's similar because for us, you have to obviously the pupil the pupils know especially with English, that employers and colleges are going to be looking for it, for mm-hmm. uh, them to pass it or um, do better than that. Um, and so they, they do sort of, you know, they are very much a captive audience. You know, they've got nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it. Here you are with me. Um, but, you know, for me, I, I'm always trying to get them to buy into it because if I can get one young person to lay off tiktok for 15 minutes and just pick up a book instead <laughs> um then i like that that to me is is the success of my job uh, uh and to get them to consider this kind of thing and it's interesting as well because like rachel said like with the performing side of it um like so an example of a gcse question would be um like they they might give you like a bit of a speech for example mm-hmm. and then it will say like start with this speech and explore how shakespeare presents macbeth as a violent character okay so like that's one i've got in front of me now mm-hmm. um so then they have to write about the speech that's in front of them and they have to write about the play as a whole yeah um so they they can't they're expected to do essentially literary analysis mm-hmm. um <laughs> at 16 years old of yeah. um of shakespeare um, you know, uh, some people feel a, feel different about whether they think that's a right, like you know, a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's like really fun. interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I think mean, that's a great question. I I want to do that. Send that test over to me too, Francis. I want to write that right now. Yeah, I'll, send, awesome. I'll send you the uh, I'll send well, you the I mean, past papers see, for the I few years. I was an IB kid and you taught IB, so we are not we're, the baseline. No, we're here. not. We're definitely not. Um, not yeah. It's interesting because as well, like I, I did really well at school. Uh, it's very different because the GCSE stuff was revamped just uh, just before I got I started working in schools. Okay. But when I was at school, uh, like I didn't really know. I did really well in English. I got an A and everything's good. Mm-hmm. But um, 
I didn't really know about iambic pentameter or trochees or things like that until college. Oh, really? Um, really? Because yeah. in, I mean, now it's much more rigorous mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I don't think you could get away without it. Like, I kind of knew what it was, but it was uh, the common sort of way that I've heard it taught a few times is if a line has 10 syllables, that's it. Okay. Um, because it's <laughs> it's obviously, it, it's essentially a cheat sheet then, isn't it, for pupils to yeah. use in their exam? Because, you know, especially Macbeth, you're pretty safe with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, the expectation is... Um, it's very literary based, um, but schooling, the English uh, English teaching in the UK is, in my experience, there is there is an emphasis, um, especially now, perhaps more than I was at school, on literary heritage. Um, mm. Like pupils read Charles Dickens. Right. Um, people read Shakespeare. Pupils read Shakespeare. Um, they're expected to read a diverse range of poetry. Mm-hmm. So I've taught things from like Lord Byron to mm. um, more contemporary, like Seamus Heaney and stuff from, yeah. from Ireland. So it's um yeah, there's a there's a lot of depth there. Yeah, because uh, Lindsay and I were actually both in we both took an English degree, uh, and mm. so we had to do you know we had a Victorian class and an early uh, modern uh, yeah. English literature class, and like so we've covered all those topics, but that was at the university, university. level. Like yeah. we signed up for that. I can't imagine forcing that because like when when we did novel studies uh, and poetry and stuff like that in in high school and junior high, it was it was much more modern. It was very contemporary and, stuff and more was, American lit. There's a much more of a push now in Canada to have like Canadian authors and, and Canadian authors of color and that kind of thing. But, but yeah, like the high level stuff, like the English canon quote unquote, right. Is like mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, it's not... at key stage three, you get away with a little more. So we, at my, at my last school, uh, we incorporated much more uh, like modern British texts yeah. um, uh, from black authors and things like that. Yeah. Um, and Again, like people all have their different ideas about what they think, whether that's sure. a good or bad thing. Um, and the it, it was all over the news in the UK, probably not anywhere else because it probably doesn't matter to anyone else. But <laughs> there was a big uproar years ago when they changed the uh, at key stage four when they do their GCSEs. When I was at school, my GCSE was one of my literature uh, papers was on of mice and men. Okay. And of of mice and men in the UK is a national treasure. Like yeah. it doesn't it, even the like the least interested in reading least interested like barely literate people will be like oh do you you're a teacher do you still do with mice and men like everyone <laughs> loves it because yeah. it was a very like but um the government changed it to um it could only be english authors that were studied oh, wow. Oh, wow and then that got for a lot of arms up um interesting yeah. of course yeah 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 now yeah. well i mean yeah oh, i said english sorry i'm uh, british authors yeah yeah yes. before like yeah. someone from wales or scotland sent you an angry email <laughs> uh-huh. yeah well and and uh i wanted to jump back to uh, a point uh rachel was making just because you you jumped into our next topic perfectly uh it was all about you know what what are your kind of opening techniques and like you already discussed you know your, your kicking boxes and what have you um <laughs> but is there anything else um maybe maybe from your point point of view uh francis uh if is there anything uh that you kind of like you start off with in the thing or do you start off with uh the language like a history lesson or is it more of uh an on hands uh 
like, uh, let's look at some text and I can show you how it works. And here's how, the, why the words are funny or something like that. Like, how do you, how do you kind of, what are your initial kind of techniques for, for getting Shakespeare across? Yeah. I mean, obviously like I really love Shakespeare. Um, so, uh, and it's really similar to Rachel. Like the first thing is, um, so let's learn a bit about theater at the time. Um, not so much at Key Stage 4, because, again, we expect them to already know this, but mm-hmm. let's learn about 16th century England. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people throwing their poop in the streets. And, um, <laughs> like That's Rachel said, the, yep. yeah, the bear, the bear bait in the prostitution, things like mm-hmm. that. Like that, yep. that is the stuff that kids enjoy. Um, so you always try and sort of spark their imagination with that first, I think. Um, yeah, I think it, is, it can be a really big challenge to... Uh, to teach any Shakespeare text if they're not already engaged with the history mm-hmm. um, because it is you know it's so tied in with um, 16th century 17th century England yeah um, I think that they need that that background to understand it anyway yeah. Um, yeah. and it's interesting obviously the Globe Theatre is you know it's not too far from from where I am um, right and, <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah so like I, I've never especially where like I said I've been teaching for four years and COVID has been around right. it seems like yeah. for, for a decade now yeah <laughs> and we had schools closed schools open pupils in pupils out all this different mm-hmm. stuff um so I've not been able to do a, a real trip to the globe with with the kids but um you know it's um they're aware that it exists and how close it is to them and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we do try and encourage them because a standing ticket there is five pounds. Right. Which is like uh, less than 10 American dollars. Yeah. Um, do you know how expensive it is to go to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival? No. I don't. You have to no. let me know because that's, yes, I want to go. <laughs> Definitely. It's on my bucket list. How much would it cost okay. me to get a ticket to go to the OSF? Oh, dear God. Um, so the last time I went to the OSF and this was pre COVID probably three years ago my Mm -hmm. friend who is real rich bought me a ticket because Uh it cost 125 dollars oh wow yeah wow is that for just is that for one performance that was one performance oh my goodness wow that's incredible so so part part of my problem with your I'm going to get off on a tangent because I have a lot of like loyal feelings towards the American Shakespeare Center, which is yeah. the East Coast version of the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in a lot okay. of ways. But they yeah. do yeah. pay what you will yeah. dress rehearsals mm-hmm. yeah. where anybody yeah. can walk in and give a handful of change and watch a play. And that right. is how theater should be. And it makes right. me that that it's not over here. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny, though, no. because it's like it's like Shakespeare and, and I don't know, Francis, maybe you can speak to this a bit about how it is in the UK, but here it's like Shakespeare is highbrow theater. And so it's treated with this like reverence, which I mean, rightfully, wrongly, we could debate that all day. But I mean, getting it, getting it to like the, the masses, which is who Shakespeare was writing for, is much more of a challenge, I find, because people tend to charge exorbitant amounts of money. And it's it's a barrier to access that is hard to overcome, I think, here, right? Yeah, in, in I mean, in like sort of the area I live and things like that, it's, mm-hmm. um, there's a, there is a big, I wouldn't 
I don't I don't find it find it as concerning because I've grown up around mm-hmm. uh, the people that have always been here. But uh, there is a big concern about like cultural capital. So the idea that there are young people that grow up here who aren't aware of books, that aren't aware of yeah. perhaps highbrow music or art or um, these aspects of culture. And mm-hmm. Shakespeare always comes into that. Um, yeah. I think the perception in the UK, I think it is similar that it is something a little bit highbrow. But yeah. when I mean, if you ever go to to the globe it's mm-hmm. always a mixed bag yeah and mm-hmm. it's you know you have your school trips you have your families and yeah. you know um but it, it i think it does have i mean it's theater so it has the image of the middle class and obviously sure. class is, is super important in england yeah. um famously so so um i think it's really challenging to dispel that myth mm-hmm. and i think there's there's right and wrong ways to do it um mm-hmm. but i know like even in the town where i live like the local theatre has Macbeth on very soon and I, okay. like, I'll probably go and see it so yeah. it's always being performed even in small areas right. and there's like mm. there's like a, a Shakespeare theatre company um, that operates out of a town a little bit like 10 minutes away from me so yeah. that it is something that I think more people in England in, probably enjoy than in America because mm-hmm it's just a part of being British I think he's he is integral to British identity and that that's never going to change um so yeah there there is there are links I think between sort of it's something for the educated but at the same time um every single time I've taken someone to see Shakespeare whether that's at the cinema uh a live stream or uh the globe which I've been to a, a couple of times um they always come out saying it was amazing and they want yeah. to go again yeah every time there, there's never anyone who goes to see Shakespeare in the UK uh, that I've met that goes no that was really boring it doesn't matter how old <laughs> how how young everyone I've taken has enjoyed it so and um so yeah I don't I, I think there is there's a fear that it's something difficult because it yes. was probably presented to them as something difficult at school yeah yep um so, yeah, because uh, it's life or death like right. you, you need to pass your <laughs> yeah. exam and so you yeah. need to study shape they don't have a choice mm-hmm. so um a lot of them miss out on a lot of them miss out on titus andronicus and, yes they do it's um, true other players you know so, so yeah. rachel just real quick um for the kids that you're teaching you said who are not a captive audience who are choosing to be there and you have to kind of get them in um how do you do that like apart from kicking boxes like and 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 talking about the bear baiting like um that there there has to be something that you're that you're doing to to get these performances put on so what's your what's your secret (laughs) um well I think on a on a sort of macro level a lot of my secret to working with kids is to just be so obnoxiously enthusiastic at them <laughs> yeah until their barriers just drop because yeah. they can't deal with it anymore yeah um so there's that and i'm so excited about shakespeare that it tends to either make other people similarly excited or really annoyed and that like quickly sorts people out in my social life really like you must be this interested in listening to someone talk about Shakespeare to be my friend um and and now my friends are all really into that and I also have uh convinced them all to be in like my Shakespeare company so Mm -hmm. we're cool but like with uh with the kids 
this is what we were just talking about was actually like the first point I make, which is, all right, let's think about theater. Is theater that is theater like a highbrow, high class thing? Or is theater like a, a lowbrow fun thing? And then we talk about that and like, what's the difference between going to a play and going to a movie? Right. And then we segue from that into, okay, well, in Shakespeare's day, we didn't have movies. So like going to see Titus Andronicus was like going to see the latest Marvel movie. Right. And then once we've got, that sort of established as a baseline then we can go on into the more like the social context of theater and how different it was then and how it was at least if you lived in a cosmopolitan area like mm-hmm. london it was a much more integral part of the culture because there wasn't a whole hell of a lot to do as far <laughs> as entertainment went yeah. other than going to one of the several theaters and like talking about how that's crazy for the population that London had at the time to be able to support the number of theaters it did, especially the size of those theaters. That's bonkers. That's amazing. Most cities of that size cannot support that many theaters running simultaneously at the same time anymore because we have more for better or for worse entertainment options. Um, So that's, that's sort of like where we get in. And then I always like to talk about what came before Shakespeare okay. as far as theatrical traditions go. Um, be- a lot of because I just, I really, really love the early, early modern theater. Okay. Like I love Marlowe. I love Thomas Kidd. I love all the weird, violent, awful stuff that came <laughs> before Shakespeare yeah. that informed so much of his early work. Because, mm-hmm. I don't know, people always are like, man, Titus Andronicus is so violent. Oh, somebody walks around and kisses a severed head in <laughs> Henry VI. What is up with that? And what is up with that is the context in which Shakespeare was writing is like everybody was writing these horrible, horrible, (laughs) violent plays and the kids love it. So talking about the Spanish tragedy um, can really sort of get kids into, Oh, early modern theater is basically like going to see a a slasher film in some ways in its earliest form. Wow. That's really interesting. Oh, this Marlowe play had like a guy in a cage who killed himself by hitting his head against the bars (laughs) until he was dead and his head exploded. What? And then the kids (laughs) got really excited about that. Yeah. Um, And then, then we move into Shakespeare and then we start talking more about the language because like they have the baseline interest of, well, this is gory and awful. And when do I get to stab somebody? And I'm like, all right, right. we're getting to the stabbing. First, you have to, <laughs> first we have to talk about iambic pentameter, but then yeah. I swear to God, I'm going to hand you a sword. It's going to be great. That's awesome. It's, it's about making it relatable though, right? Like you, you have to kind of find a way to make it relatable. That's always been my biggest challenge too, because of the way that, um, as we've already talked about, the way that kids approach Shakespeare is that at least here, they think it's like something that boring people read or something that boring people go watch. And, and they they think it's scary. It has this um, reputation, I guess, of being this terrifying thing that nobody understands. So it's going to be hard. And so they just shut down. So yeah, like I bring out my little uh, chart where they get to play a game of um, uh, Shakespearean insults, like an insult generator, and they just get okay, to hurl I'm insults at each other it. across the classroom, right? So I, I was doing that the other day. Fantastic! <laughs> I did that in my summer camp. I have, yeah. a, I have an insult generator. I love it. <laughs> it works, yeah. it works so it's well. nice to know that insult generator is uh, 
it's worldwide. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's a uh, it's a standard procedure. <laughs> yeah, I think. Sorry, on, I'm, I'm just curious. I want to, I want to, I want to jump into this one because I'm not a teacher. But Lindsay always uh, mentions how sometimes it's the the film, uh, especially uh, R plus J, uh, the '96 <laughs> or '98 or whatever the the Laws Berman, Boz, Boz Berman, uh, 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 Romeo and Juliet movie that can kind of like really helps for a lot of kids because. Um, it is so it is so very contemporary even to this day it still feels like it feels 90s but it feels very uh, accessible and they do a good job of you know turning the swords into guns and all those like little little techniques do you guys do either of you use the uh, use the movies at all in your in your practice um for so for me uh that's one of my favorite films just like yes. flat out. um so <laughs> like yes i use that one a lot um mm-hmm. you you do encounter problems where pupils then writing their GCSE paper when Romeo shoots right (laughs) when Leonardo DiCaprio did this yeah Yeah. um and then so that's a problem or like you know when when Mercutio's in the dress and you're like okay (laughs) um so you do come up you do face these problems um with that but um for me in my practice so um I a couple of years ago went to the Globe and then um picked up a a box set that was on sale there you can probably get it online um i can't remember how much it cost but it's it's most of shakespeare's plays being performed at the globe um mm, yeah. that's what i i almost always try to use um i've got a real uh, personal distaste for um for big changes to shakespeare mm-hmm. um i can't stand things like you know like adding you know rap music into it and <laughs> doing these kinds of cringy like hello fellow kids stuff yes um, I don't think it's useful I don't think it's necessary right. I think that's a sign I think that if if you want it to appeal to um, teenagers they should they should respect it as something that you need to be intelligent to understand and you're going to help them get there mm-hmm. it shouldn't be um, we're going to dumb it down for you right um, so I tend to use those versions so um one of the really really interesting opportunities I got was as schools were opening again with COVID um, there was a period of time because the GCSEs had to be sent off earlier where we had these um, 16 year olds in the school for about I don't know like two weeks but they they had finished right like like they were done and normally they would just go home but because of COVID they had to stay in school and it was like you need to either be helping them with careers or helping them culturally um, yeah. So I I decided uh, it would be a brilliant opportunity to show them uh, the Titus Andronicus with yes. um, Liam Houston yes. from the oh, Globe because perfect. I've got it on DVD. Oh, I thought you were talking and about the Tabor. No, I couldn't show them that because it's an eighteen, and that's all. That causes uh, all kinds of problems. But yes. it didn't. The um the the William Houston one like famously like. Every, they had to have uh, medical assistance and stuff there because every single day someone passed out. Pass out. Uh, like yep. Everyone fa- fainted. It was a really famous production, that and was um, so it was awesome. it was really really interesting because we just watched it. There was no teaching of context. There was no teaching yeah. of language. We just watched it, and most of them, like some of them, couldn't care less. Yeah, they just wanted to go off and get on with their lives. Like in their minds, they've finished school and that's it. Yeah. But some of them went off and watched the Julie Tamer one with the permission Good. of their parents. I yeah. hope, um, and. Uh, <laughs> It, but um, one of my favorite—it's one of the best things a kid has ever said to me because 
it was we were watching it and then there's the scene where Lavinia emerges on stage um with her hands missing and her tongue yeah. missing and uh one of the bo- one of these big boys who you know plays a lot of rugby and, and was very laddish just just sort of looked at me and just said I can't believe you're showing me this oh. <laughs> and covered his eyes um and it you know it was brilliant um but that is a very visceral visceral version of it but they loved it um yeah and and that was a really nice opportunity but that's my go-to there's like um any if it's a, a relatively recent glow performance like the 12th night one with Stephen fry yep where they did everything as historically accurately as possible yes. young people love that yeah like they really like it with mark rylance playing um olivia and things like they yeah love it yeah so yes, genius yeah, what, what about so you, Rachel? Do, you, do you get that as well? Like, do you, do you, uh, I remember when I was my two years in drama class, uh, that I <laughs> did very poorly. And, uh, I remember they showed us, uh, much ado about nothing. And we had to do, uh, one of the, one of the witty repartees between, uh, Benedict and, and what's her name? Beatrice. Uh, Beatrice. For, yeah. Beatrice from, uh, much ado. Um, do you, do you use resources like that at all in, in that sense? I've never used film in, um, in my teaching and and some of that is honestly just like the logistics of it would be difficult mm-hmm. in the places that mm-hmm. i have taught mm-hmm. um yeah. like i don't i don't have av equipment at the park or right. i don't <laughs> necessarily have the ability to play a movie in the big community room where i just happen to be teaching shakespeare because that was the space they could give me right um, but more than that um I have always found personally as an actor that I don't want to watch someone something, else, someone yeah. else in a thing that I am in right yeah. now. And since all of my stuff was very focused on um, the, the performance that we're eventually going to get, I didn't want to show these kids a performance that they would then instinctively ape yeah. because they are they're just starting out as actors mm-hmm. um and so like so much of what they do in order to get like a really good compelling interesting performance that they will own they really just need to come up with that by mm-hmm. themselves mm-hmm. with working with me and the text and each other and like bouncing off each other and bouncing ideas off each other um so I typically avoid that although if they ask me for movie recommendations I would give them movie <laughs> recommendations sure um, if I have the ability to take them to a live performance, mm-hmm. I will do that. Um, I don't often have that ability um, yeah. because of because of price barriers, because transportation is hard in Oregon. Oregon is yeah. a big state. It's yeah. a very big state. Um, so leaving town is, is frequently not practical. But like mm-hmm. when I taught at the teen center in rural Oregon, one year it just happened that the local community college was doing a production of Twelfth Night that I just happened to be in. And so then I was able to be like, hey, director, yeah. can we do a performance specifically for my students? And she was like, heck yeah, we can. Oh, so awesome. the kids got to go and like just have their own private performance of Twelfth oh, Night wow. at the community college and then talk to the actors afterwards. So like that, I think, is How the kind cool. of... Um, experience yeah. that's the most valuable it's just that's hard to do like because yeah. the timing's got to be right mm-hmm. um, and even living in a college town as I do um, where like we have an extremely well funded active community theater that mm-hmm. I work at um, but then we also have um, a summer Shakespeare thing at the college mm-hmm. which is terrible but at least it's like 
it's it's Shakespeare on its feet. Mm-hmm. And you can even bad Shakespeare is instructive. And like no matter how bad the production is, there's always like a couple of choices they made that were good. And you can talk about those. And then you can mm-hmm. talk about all the bad choices they made. And <laughs> then go get a beer with your friends and wave <laughs> the whole thing over the coals and it's delightful. Um yeah. but I would much prefer to take kids to a live performance if yeah. that is an option. Mm-hmm. Um, and often, I mean, anymore, often it's an option because I'm doing a Shakespeare play somewhere <laughs> yeah. in the area because that is my MO. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I can get, I can get students to come see that. And yeah. it's, it's fun. It works. It works. Um, so we wanted to move on a little bit to uh, the other end. You've talked about what works, what what's awesome about teaching Shakespeare. Uh, what are some things that don't work so well, and what are what are some difficulties and unique challenges that you found uh, teaching Shakespeare? Uh, Francis, why don't we start with you? Because uh, you do teach the whole curriculum; it's not just Shakespeare. So, what are what are the things that you found repeatedly when you get to Shakespeare that the kids are like, uh, or you know, a, a roadblock that you run into? Um, yeah, it's the, the, I think it's there's two layers that I've seen uh, from young people, and first of all, it is that uh, I, for want of a better word, we'll we'll call it respect or reverence, mm. perhaps, but like that might be how we see it, uh, <laughs> whereas they just see it as the, this insurmountable thing that's only there for for highly intelligent people and stuff mm-hmm. so it's got this thing um i think overcoming that is is tricky but it's only really tricky up until you know up until they meet the three witches in macbeth and then they <laughs> and they see it and then they're like oh okay no i do like it is kind of interesting fair enough and then they they crack on and that's mm-hmm. really good um it's it's probably the language mainly mm-hmm. um which is difficult the way i always explain it is uh i always have to go through um even in england the pupils will call it old english yes so i always go through with them uh i have some like uh some old english sort of runic symbols and then say you know explain to them like this is old english (laughs) uh so it's not that it's early modern english and Mm -hmm. um i always just say the thing i always say is it's exactly the same language you use it's more close than you realize mm-hmm. um, especially with a lot of the slang you use and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, it's just that he has to put the words in a certain order and we'll come to that when we study the meter <laughs> and then that it, because realistically um, the archaic elements of the language so words we don't use nowadays I'm trying to think of some off the top of my head like something like canker I guess or whatever yeah like um, they obviously just need outright definitions yeah but but for a lot of it, you know, like, uh, you know, now is the winter of our discontent made uh, beautiful summer by the sun of York. Like glorious it's, it, yeah, glorious summer by the sun of York. Um, it's, <laughs> it is just straightforward English. Yes. Like they, they don't know necessarily who, who Richard III is or who the son of York is, but it is this kind of, like they can say, yeah, okay, we kind of get it. Yeah. And they, they, they're trained to re- at secondary schools here they will have already done a lot of studying of similes and metaphors and stuff and mm-hmm. they can they can analyze that language uh it just takes time to eke it out of them yeah um i it's useful at certain levels and i think especially for pupils that you might have who use english as a second language mm-hmm. but for me i really similar to the sort of uh, hip hop adaptations and things like that mm-hmm. um i i really dislike um 
uh, do you have like no fear Shakespeare and stuff like that? Yes. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so like stuff like that. Um, yeah. Like I despise and I think it's a crime against humanity to translate <laughs> it in that way. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm a I'm perhaps a bit drier than some other teachers, but I like to think that a lot of my pupils then get my pa- the passion for language that I have for Shakespeare. Right. Um, which is different to other teachers because every teacher brings some something to the table um when they teach Shakespeare because Mm -hmm. you in my opinion you shouldn't be an English teacher in the world unless you you know love Shakespeare (laughs) cosine Um, (laughs) yes so it's 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 mainly that I think it's the language and it's the level Mm -hmm. of this level it seems to a lot of them like an insurmountable barrier and then you have to obviously shepherd them on their journey their learning journey through the text yeah um and it, it, there's no choice you know it's it's do or die like yeah. you, you have to do it and that's that's it we didn't have to do it during covid because they there's so so many elements to the english exam that they would have missed because of time out of school that they right. had to drop some parts so shakespeare at the school i was at was one of the things that we dropped hence oh, okay. stu- hence watching titus to cover that gap right uh, right so um yeah, yeah so it's you know it's perhaps less like Rachel needs the kids to buy in mm-hmm. they have to buy into it they have to appreciate it and they ha- they have to love it because they need to turn up after school every day and want to yeah. be there um uh, in a sense I've got that captive audience but that it, even in England the English stuff and the history as well obviously if if you're doing something historical sure it can be really tricky because um, a lot of pupils might not choose to, to study history right. in secondary school. They've got no interest in it. So like why I, I've often get asked why are we study in history in English. So, yep. you know, so, <laughs> um, yeah. so there's all these kinds of things, um, but you, you, you work through it and that's, you know, and that's, what's important, I think. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and Rachel, you, you mentioned the language uh, and the history already. So uh, do, do you find those, I mean, you try and preempt them a little bit as well, but do you find those are the, the biggest challenges from, from your end too, is getting the kids to like, oh, okay, uh, you know, wherefore art thou Romeo mutants? <laughs> you know, why are you named Romeo? You know, like, like, is it things like that that are the bigger challenge for you? Or is coming from the drama side, is it more, um, you know, using the language a little more actively or something like that? Um, well, before I do any like actual scene work with kids that I'm doing Shakespeare with, we sit down, we paraphrase the whole scene. Like, okay, we, we go through the whole thing because mm-hmm. there's absolutely no point in doing scene work until they know what they're saying. Right. Um, so I, and I do this with adult actors too, like table work is crucial and, mm-hmm. and directors, um, and, and drama teachers who do Shakespeare with kids and don't do table work are doing them such a big disservice. Right. Because uh, if you don't know what you're saying, there is no point in doing it. And I think that's why people think Shakespeare is boring. Mm-hmm. Because if you go to a Shakespeare play and the actors on the stage do not know what they are saying 100% of the time, yeah. then everything just becomes a word salad. Yeah. And like it sounds beautiful, but if the actors are not fitting their emotional reality and the gestures they are doing to the meaning of the text because they don't know the meaning of the text then mm. there's no point in this, right. in this production whatsoever yeah um and it's it's amazing how much shakespeare i see in america this may not be as big of a 
a, a barrier in, in England where there is more study of it and it's more of a, a national thing. But like there's so much bad Shakespeare mm-hmm. in America because people do Shakespeare without understanding what they are saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is like the biggest thing is like, okay, kids, you need to know what every word means, but you also need to understand the bunker syntax syntax that Shakespeare is using here so that it will fit within the meter. Um, So then we just go through and we paraphrase it. And I'm like, no, 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 we're not going to Google and look on No Fear of Shakespeare. We're going to talk through it until... And so, like, I will try to get them to explain to me what they think it means. And and most of the time, it's way closer than they think it's going to be. And then I'll be like, okay, that's so close. Or that's a really interesting interpretation that I hadn't really thought of. But, like, here's what this specific word means. And then, oh, they'll be like, oh, okay, that makes sense now. And we'll go through it that way. Yeah. Um, The other big performance barrier I find, Francis, you're probably going to think this is really funny, is that there's a certain subset of very young actor who's like, I'm doing Shakespeare. Clearly, I have to do a British accent. (laughs) Oh, yes, please. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, And if you uh... you have not lived till you've seen a 12 year old, like, very seriously put on a British accent as she tries to do comedy of errors. And then, like, to be completely unable to get her to stop doing the British accent. Yeah. Because, Because in her head, like, well, it's Shakespeare it's British and like Mm. her British uh, this was this was a child I just taught in at in the summer camp that I wrapped at the end of July and like we could not get her to stop doing the British (laughs) accent so she's doing comedy of errors she's not she's the only student on this stage who's doing a British accent except for the actual Scottish kid that we had in the camp (laughs) like cool He's fine. And so then I get these I get these questions like, but Shakespeare is British. I'm like, no, 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 please God, just do Shakespeare in your yeah. voice. Please yeah. do not do Shakespeare with an accent unless Shakespeare wrote the accent into the text, which he does sometimes. <laughs> yes. And yeah. that's fine. But like but they're like, Well, he's doing an accent. I'm like, Yeah, because he's from Scotland. He has an accent. That's his voice. <laughs> that's his voice. <laughs> I have seen, yeah, I've seen footage of uh, of those sorts of, I think as well, like in England, it's not to be disparaging, of course, to, to our cousins across the pond, but I do think that within like the Shakespeare stuff, I think, uh, because some of some of us in, in England, like me, love it, like we really do, mm-hmm. but um, you tend to find that... Um, perhaps people in America or in Canada uh, where you're a bit more friendly with one another, um, people who love it are are super into it and want to talk <laughs> about it and want to do it. Whereas here it is much more like, oh, you're interested in Shakespeare. Let's let's discuss while we're sitting there, you know, drinking tea as we're supposed to always do. Um, <laughs> whereas, yeah, I think so like there's always this image of like a community. If you're talking about Shakespeare sort of, uh, his legacy in, in the Americas is mm-hmm. this I, this image of a community-run, you know, theatre troupe mm-hmm. of people all wearing tights and putting on bad impressions of Mick Jagger <laughs> while they work their way through it. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, have you seen the um, have you seen the video from the Globe where they where the uh, like linguistics guy uh, figures out the pronunciation that, yes, that would have yes. been? Yes, um, so it's cool. it's so close to what in England we call the West Country, um, yeah. which is the the national stereotype within England of the West Country is like they're all farmers. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like they're they're all like they they live on farms and yeah. don't like and they've never been to a city and so there's this sort of this it's quite funny because when you hear that Shakespeare had that accent it's um in my head that's an accent that that brings up like tractors and manure not like a man of letters it's it's almost um, like like a southern like here like a southern american accent yeah. like a hillbilly accent right yeah yeah so it's the equivalent of that yeah. so it's like kind of uh it's it's very um. Yeah, so it's it's very funny that people yeah. do try to put on the accent. I think because it's um, it's bizarre just because to say it in your say it in your words. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah um, well, because British the, actors you know, don't don't do that either. Right. Uh, typically, they try not to unless they naturally. Someone like Ian McKellen obviously speaks with received pronunciation yeah. naturally. Yeah. Um, so he yeah. can do that. That's all. That's all well and good. And yeah. I don't think. Yeah, I think even even if I see a British actor suddenly put on an accent and yeah. it's not done well. Yeah. Yeah, I do begin to pucker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's one of the things I enjoyed the most about seeing productions all over the world. Like we, like obviously, you see it in another language; it's t- a totally different thing. But like the Stratford Festival in Canada, everyone sounds like you know they've they've played you know, the left wing on the Maple Leafs, you know, on ice hockey for the last six years. And then they just went over and started doing Shakespeare because they, they don't obscure their Canadian accent. It's very... Uh, oh, you know, but it's, it's good, eh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah and, you know, like, but it adds a little something to you yeah. get... I don't know. It adds it adds a flavor to the to the performance. That, he's that I really he's love. universal, so it should be in mm. your, you know, it should be your accent. Yeah. Yeah, sure. exactly. So it works out well. It's very interesting because... Um, like, obviously, if you're at the community level, which is where I do most of my work now, yeah. um, everybody just speaks as they do unless they try to sure. do an accent. And then I yeah. try to get them <laughs> to stop, please. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not all directors do that, though. Mm-hmm. And But, like, in the professional world, in America and Shakespeare, almost all American actors who are trained use American standard pronunciation because mm-hmm. it's beaten into you in conservatory mm-hmm. training. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's certainly the case with me. I don't really use my quote unquote natural accent when mm-hmm. I do Shakespeare or any theater because I've been trained to speak in a certain way, unless I'm playing a clown character and sure. then I sound pretty goofy. Um, <laughs> but like if I'm playing a queen and it's fun because uh, we're, I'm doing the winter's tale right now. It opens okay. next week and um, I'm playing both a queen and a shepherd okay. throughout the play. So like I'm going back and forth between these two radically different voices. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and that's, that's another thing that really gets kids into it. The idea of doubling. Like yes. the Francis was talking about talking about mm-hmm. the, the theatrical conventions of the time. And mm-hmm. that is one that like really interests kids, this idea that like because like some a lot of them come to me having done theater at school. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then the idea that you would play more than one role yeah. in one play yeah. just blows their minds. And mm-hmm. so then when we get to do that kind of doubling and they're like, wait, wait, wait. So I have to be this one guy, but then I have to come back later as this completely different guy. And I'm like, yeah, yeah and you got to do things with your voice and your body to make it clear to the audience that you're a different person. How are you going to do that? Yeah. Um, that is, that is really exciting to them That's as well. Fun. And it's a great acting challenge. For sure. Um, I wanted to ask you as a teacher um, myself and with things like assessment and and things like that that are kind of, I don't know, close to my heart. I'm one of those nerdy teachers who really likes to get into the data of what we're learning and how successfully have we learned it. Um, What does that look like for you? How do you know that you've 
succeeded in your goal of teaching Shakespeare to the level that you wanted to? Like, what does that, obviously it's going to look different on stage versus in a classroom. So I thought this was a perfect opportunity. We've got like two total opposite ends of the Shakespeare teaching spectrum here. I would love to hear from you guys what a successful um, job well done looks like to both of you. Um, yeah, I mean, from my perspective, so so for me, first, like the first and foremost is I know, like I've spoken a lot more about the uh, actual systematic education, right? But like, if a, if a pupil leaves school loving Shakespeare, I've done my job. Yeah, like that's always the the first thing that I think is if, if a young person will go off and will read the Tempest or and will you know and then go and watch all the film versions and watch it when it's on and then move on to the next play and really love it yeah that for me is is massive but um what what i can uh do i've got up um uh, i sort of have some some notes i can i can actually tell you like the mark scheme okay um of of what they're looking for so you get your mark schemes um with exam papers and things and um they're assessed on uh they're called assessment objectives they're always different but um i'll just i'm just scrolling down to make sure this 100 percent is the shakespeare one um before i embarrass myself by reading out the poetry <laughs> one and i'm like wait what um but it's um yeah so at, at the very top level so for them to achieve sort of maximum marks um it should feature a critical, exploratory, conceptualized response to mm -hmm. the task and the whole text. So talking about that Macbeth one earlier, mm -hmm. they have to be critical, exploratory and conceptualized. What that means depends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's difficult, you yeah. know, uh, and they need judicious use of precise references. They have to analyze writer's methods with subject terminology. Yeah. They have to explore the effects of writer's methods to create meanings and they have to explore ideas, perspectives and contextual factors shown by specific detailed links between the context, text and time ask um that's at the very top level um okay. so uh, a response should be critical exploratory well-structured argument it takes a conceptualized approach to the full task um so it's it's essentially literary analysis yeah. and that that's it so for me that's the the progress is essentially you you are assessing how well i think you will all agree with me that there are good and bad analyses to sure. be made of shakespeare there there are one some that are just right and there are some that are very very wrong yeah. and that's you know um so it is about guiding pupils more towards what is perhaps considered traditionally correct okay um we're not expecting them to do things like you know harold blooms sort of <laughs> you know he invented the human and then going to all of this stuff right. but we you know we expect them to be able to pick out the key language and say this is uh, you know uh, macbeth is a violent character throughout the play because he does this and this and this but then we also at the top end would want them to pick out something that perhaps uh, as a teacher you may not have even taught them something they've mm -hmm. picked up on themselves and that's the kind of stuff I guess uh, we don't mark these exam papers by the way okay these get sent to someone else okay. um, at the very bottom level so the stuff that just about gets them through so this isn't even a pass but to just get a few marks they need to make simple comments mm -hmm. they have to be aware that Shakespeare's made a choice uh, they have to uh, potentially include some subject terminology uh, and make simple comments mm -hmm. to the simple comments on the contextual factors. Mm -hmm. So saying like in Elizabethan time, women are less are seen as less. Like mm -hmm. if they just sort of put that, then 
that might get them a single mark. But then to link that to Lady Macbeth's speech about unsex me here and things like that, that's where they suddenly start to um, achieve higher levels. Um, So basically, because that's provided, that is what I would use to assess their work all throughout the year. Mm Or, or throughout the term on Shakespeare, so they would do lots of practice essays, and I would use the same mark scheme that an examiner is going to use. For sure, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's quite boring. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> like it's not like oh they get to go up and perform and they we get in the, and then they read the newspaper reviews. Like it's <laughs> like uh, yeah, it's like they get their slip of paper and hope yeah. they get hope they pass um yeah, yeah. so yeah, that's kind of the way that I would assess myself. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, at key stage four yeah. at least yeah. okay. that, that matches up pretty closely with yours Lindsay. like you yeah. guys kind of have a rubric for for what you kind of expect when uh when they're writing a yeah and i mean even because a... so it's i mean it's a little bit different here in alberta they write um, a provincial exam at the end of grade nine and then they write their final diploma exams at the end of grade 12 and so i teach grade seven to nine and so you're kind of aiming them towards the uh the provincial test at the end of grade nine. So you're, you're trying to get them to um, that level of analysis and evaluation and, and conversation and whatnot. So, um, and, and it kind of bothers me a little bit to teach to a test all the time. Like you want to have that deeper understanding, like you said, you know, if they walk away with an appreciation of Shakespeare and they love him and, and, or whatever you're teaching, I mean, that feels like a job well done, but, but the reality of it is, is like, you know, there is a test at the end and you want to prepare them for it. So it's, you know, a bit of a trade-off, I guess. But if you can do both, then that's well done, right? That's so. the ideal. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what you're hoping for. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, what, what about uh, you, Rachel? Do you, do you have like a, do you, I mean, I'm assuming in after-school program and stuff, the kids aren't getting marks no. or anything like that. But, <laughs> no, but do, no. do, you, do you have like a way of your own measure of like, oh, this kid's really got it. And this or I did a really know. good job this time. They got the play. It's the performance was awesome. Yeah. You know, I'm going to re- emulate this next time or. It, it's, yeah. it's a combination. Mm. Like if a kid. So first of all, if a kid feels confident enough in their ability to handle Shakespeare's language, that they're willing to get up on a stage without a script in their hand and do Shakespeare in front of their parents and friends publicly. Mm-hmm. That. I've done a yeah. good job. Right. <laughs> yeah. did the thing. Uh, the yeah. thing was good. Yeah. It's a good performance on yeah. top of it. Mm-hmm. I feel like a rock star. And like yeah. I got some amazing performances out of the kiddos um, this past July. Because like some of them, it really clicked with them. They really got it. They were so we did a we did a basically a we didn't do a whole play. We did a, a showcase because we wanted every kid to have a good role. Mm-hmm. So that every we did like um six to 12 minute scenes basically, right yeah from a bunch of different plays and then like some of them got to do different comedies and different tragedies but like we did um a scene from henry the sixth part three mm-hmm. so there was uh there was a combat scene with all of the kids oh wow we choreographed this enormous like little war thing that happened cool. in the audience and on the stage, just everywhere. These kids are fighting yeah. to hearts Barracuda, um, which worked so well. But um, <laughs> so we do that. And then after that, we have this young man come out on stage and deliver like all of York's heartbreaking monologues about oh. how he's like, his child has been murdered and Queen mm-hmm. Margaret is gloating over him and he's covered in fake blood. He made himself. And like, it's, 
It was just gorgeous. And that is the kind of thing where I'm like, yes. And then afterwards that kid comes up to me and says, you know what? I thought Shakespeare was really boring, but nah, I know it's pretty cool now. Like there, (laughs) that is, that is the textbook. Ah, I have succeeded. I thought Shakespeare was boring. Actually, he's pretty cool now. Yeah. Yes. I did the thing. You did the Um, thing. (laughs) I did the thing. And then, but even more than that, sometimes I'll have kids come back to me Um, Like they'll see me later or they'll come back and take another year with me or whatever. And then Mm -hmm. what they will say is, oh, we did Shakespeare in English this last year. And I knew more than anybody in the class. Right. Um, I got, I got A's on everything I wrote because I already did Shakespeare. I know how I am making pentameter works. And the teacher was really impressed with me. And so then they get to see how, oh, learning to perform this will directly translate to some success in school and sometimes like these are theater kids they're not always like particularly academically inclined sure but then to be able to go into english class and really shine and like have all the answers and be able to have their hand up all the time to be like well actually this word means this or actually that's a trochee makes them feel like superstars so that's also really great to see and I think some of them do get better grades because they have done performative Shakespeare with me. That's mm-hmm. awesome. That's really cool. Those are those are some of the best feelings, I think, as a teacher um, walking away from a lesson or, or when a kid comes back to you after the lesson and, and explains that to you. It just feels so gratifying. Like you actually, yeah, you succeeded. You did, you did a good thing, right? And that's, that's a great feeling for sure. And it kind of leads to like one of, one of the things I really wanted to talk to you guys about, which was... Um, the best, funniest, most uh, rewarding moment, however you want to describe it, that you've ever had in your Shakespeare teaching career, however uh, long that, that's been or in whatever context that is, um, what would you say is that, is that moment for you when you walked away and you thought, this is, this is it, I'm doing the, the this is the best? <laughs> um it's yeah it's going to be very different for me because like I say for me the beauties in the analysis and things like that but um yeah it is uh, there's no specific moment I would highlight but it is it is when pupils say um is what film version of that should I watch Mm. and then you know they're going home on Netflix and they're gonna go and do that like and that is that's it for me because uh you know obviously it's meant for the theater and all these other things and I'd much rather they were they were reading it or seeing it at the globe but just to know that they've thought even for a moment that I am actually going to go home and spend my free time watching or reading Shakespeare um that is it for me and um and I love I always love teaching iambic pentameter um because that is always when you see light bulbs going off around the classroom and watching 30 kids faces go one at a time because they each realize what you're actually talking about Uh because it's such a tricky concept it takes time to understand and for Rachel that that that's because you're performing it the the pupils have to embody it to Mm -hmm. a level don't they Mm -hmm. yeah um Whereas, whereas for me, it's not so much about that, but getting them to read, you know, shall I compare thee two with Summer's Day and then going right. through it with them and eventually, yeah, like watching that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I always, always love it. It's my favorite lesson to teach is doing meter with them. Right on. Mm-hmm. What about you, Rachel? Do you have a standout moment that comes to mind or, or a feeling that, that you, you hit regularly when you're, when you're teaching? 
I do I do have a, a specific story to relate. Um, when I worked at the rural teen center in the middle of nowhere, um, I got I got a lot of the queer kids in my classes okay. because um, it was a safe space in a way that many of the other spaces that they had to exist in in that area were not. Um, and my favorite student came to me in uh, ninth grade. And um, he played, he played Juliet because at that point he was still trying so hard to be the woman that his family wanted him to be. Yeah. And so he was like, all right, I'm going to lean into it. I'm going to be the poofiest, most adorable Juliet. And like, he curled his hair and he had like this beautiful little dress that his mom got for him. And then the next year he came back to the program and he played puck completely androgynously. Okay. His hair short and spiked it and like wore makeup, but like looked really like sort of an androgynous anime character. And then the year after that, he came back with his, with his real name Mm -hmm. now. And he played Macduff. Oh my gosh. Watching his evolution into his gender identity through Shakespeare was beautiful and he was really able to explore that and um like this kid is brilliant and Mm -hmm. so and he was really into the language and he was really into to looking at the way that these characters used language and um watching that was just beautiful and he is a lovely young man and i wish i knew what he was doing now because i haven't seen him in years uh because i moved away right but he was with me Every year I taught there, he was a delight to work with. That gave me chills, that story. That's (laughs) awesome. That is, that's, That's yeah, that's so cool. And that's the beautiful thing I think about um, not just theater, but Shakespeare and and English class in general. I feel like, I don't know, you can just, if if you're, if you're in that spirit, you can, you know, um, be that place for those kids. And I think that's something that Certainly I'm trying to do through my practice, I think. Um, so that's really inspiring. I love that. Um, yeah. Do you want to hear my, do you want to hear my story about uh, my favorite yeah, tell uh, us lesson? Your, tell us your story. Yeah. I, I was going to, um, I was debating like, cause these kids, I know some of them listen to my podcast. So I'm like, they, I don't want to give any identifying information, but um, a couple years ago when I was teaching Romeo and Juliet, the, uh, um, I, I have them do the um, Mercutio Tybalt uh, Romeo fight scene, right? Where Mercutio um, dies and they have to choreograph it and we, we talk about it and they usually will bring out like, they'll use meter sticks or like empty um, wrapping paper tubes or whatever for the swords and that kind of thing. And they perform it in front of their peers. And I had one group that got really into it and they... Um, they translated it all into like California surfer speak. So they did it all with like this, this like Southern California accent and very much like bro and, and like all that stuff. It it was, and it was so brilliant um, because, and, and it showed me that even though we hadn't really deeply analyzed it, like they got so much more out of it because they had to look at it and they had to, translate it and they had to find like a modern day equivalent meaning for the words that Shakespeare was using so that they could get that meaning across. And 
yeah, okay, it's not perfect Shakespeare anymore, but I, I realized that they understood it in a much deeper way than any of the rest of the class had done. And it was like, okay, this is really cool. Like they, they took it above and beyond. And I think that was a really, that galvanized, um, it was just a really cool moment for me that I was able to, to look back on. And I, I have a recording of it on my phone because I'm like, I wanted to, you know, show it to the other classes and say, this is what, this is what we did in, in first block English class. And so that was, that was probably the coolest moment maybe in my entire teaching career was seeing how they, how they were able to do that. So. Yeah. And I remember when you came home and told me, you showed me the video because yep. of course you recorded it. <laughs> and that was, uh, that was pretty cool because they, 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 you could tell they actually did understand exactly what was going on in the mm -hmm. scene. And that was, that was nice to see. Um, <laughs> even third hand, I was like, yeah, those, those kids got the, they got the fun part of it. So that was, that's really awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, before we let you guys go, we did have one more topic we wanted to talk about quickly. Uh, and it's, it's one for the, the teacher folks, um, specifically, uh, resources that you count on, rely on, go to every time when you're teaching. Not uh, no fear Shakespeare. Apparently this is, yeah, a good, we're not using not. that. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is there, is there anything that comes to mind? Is there like a list or even something it, we, we can post a list online, uh, on our website, uh, as part of this, if, if you have things that you wouldn't mind sharing, uh, but is there anything that comes to mind that you, that you'd love to share with other teachers? Uh, maybe we'll, maybe we'll start with you, Francis. Uh, yeah, I, I struggle. I always struggle with this. Um, <laughs> I would say if you want a really good resource for teaching Shakespeare, then read it. Yeah. Read it a lot. Read <laughs> yeah. it frequently. Reread it. Read more than just the play that you're doing mm. with the children because there are teachers that do that. Mm -hmm. And it's fine. You know, they'll, they'll muddle through it. But if you have uh, the knowledge within you, you won't be frightened when you do need to plan a lesson yeah. um, when, you know, like uh, knowing about um, adapting it into modern language or knowing about uh, kicking boxes or banging yeah. coconuts or knowing all these different ways of doing things. Um, I think a lot of that is stuff that you need inside you. Yeah. So read Shakespeare and mm -hmm. think first of how you would do it right. um, personally and make it really personal for the children. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is uh, the guy that gets probably most recommended in the UK is a guy called Rex Gibson. Okay. I don't know if you're, you're familiar with him, but he's got uh, books that uh, he's got versions of Shakespeare's texts that are often used in schools okay. um, or used to be. And then he's also published like loads and loads and loads of stuff mm -hmm. about actual, you know, tangible resources on teaching Shakespeare. Um, but I really struggled thinking about that one because for me, my, my resources are, uh, whichever version of the play I can put in front of the kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. First folio as well. Like if, if you can actually engage the young people with that, yeah. um, because it's available online for free and uh, I, I own the Norton facsimile edition. Yeah. And as soon as you show it to kids and they see the size of the thing, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. they're like, my God, and this is amazing. So like try to bring history to life any way you can. Yeah. Um, and yeah, resource it by by being passionate about it. Don't do not resource it by buying things from the internet uh -huh. uh, that other teachers have made before you because right. you're you're too lazy. <laughs> um, is it, that would be my advice. Okay. <laughs> what about you, Rachel? Do you have anything uh, specific that you use in in your teaching regularly? I mean, I'm gonna second the Norton facsimile because yeah. I too own a Norton facsimile <laughs> of the first yeah. folio. Perfect. Um, and kids. 
kids get pretty excited about it. Um, yeah. And, and I, I use it for some specific things too, because like punctuation is one of those things mm. to talk about. Um, and the idea that like, hey, let's look at this weird spelling thing, because all of these editors have made different choices about mm-hmm. what this word actually is, because no one's quite sure. And being able to go back to the original text and see that also is just an awesome like visual aid that makes yeah. kids excited. Yeah. Um, but the one resource that I take to every single class I teach and every single uh, rehearsal I go to and everything that I direct is uh, a book called All the Words on Stage Okay, Lewis Sheeter. It is a pronunciation guide for the complete works of William Shakespeare. And it is so useful because it just comes up all the time. Like Mm -hmm. an actor or a student or even me as a director will be like, okay, I know what that word means, but how the heck do you say it? And so then I go through my little pronunciation guide, which just has it all laid out in in very simple, like sound out the word Mm -hmm. um, with the, with like variations, if it's alighted at any point to be mm-hmm. like, well, mm-hmm. this is how you pronounce the word. But at this point in this play, um, it scans to this. So then the pronunciation is a little different. Oh, nice. um, and so that may be more of a like, because I'm coming from the performative angle. Sure. That book is so ridiculously useful to me. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's also sometimes weird to like run into words that you're just reading and you don't know how to say them, especially, especially the British names yes. which can kind of be a little bonkers for an American <laughs> mouth to wrap around because it's like, wait a minute, why are all those letters there? But you don't say all the letters. Right. Uh, yes. Leicestershire. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. The, no, the, yeah. the kids get, the kids get, some of them get real mad about like some of those long <laughs> names and they're like wait it's pronounced how well then yeah. why are there all those other what what and then they get it. yeah um so yeah that, that would be my that's, that's great i buy that book yeah. for everybody perfect yeah no that's amazing that's uh i did not know that existed so yeah. very very cool uh Lindsay, do you have anything that you want to plug while you're here i mean you can plug it any any episode but this is the teaching one so um, do you have anything that comes to mind no i think uh well uh, aside from the norton facsimile of which we also have a copy right totally um <laughs> Um, I think the the one resource that I found really helpful when I was teaching Shakespeare a couple of years ago, and I did have a lot of English language learners in my class, and um, we relied quite heavily on this. It was a, um, a graphic novel version of the play helped for uh, getting those kids to kind of understand what was because they have to learn it and that you can't get around that requirement in the Alberta curriculum. So um, using a graphic novel version is not, you know, the purists among us are not going to be as thrilled with that, but I found that it was really, really helpful. And, um, and I know my first exposure to Shakespeare was through like a, an illustrated Midsummer Night's Dream version. So, I mean, if, if it can spark the kind of, um, passion, I guess, that I have for Shakespeare. I, I hoped that it would do the same for, for these kids who, for whom English is, you know, this really foreign uh, language. And now we're going to go back 500 years and read this foreign language in a foreign language that they don't speak. So, I mean, it, it, I thought that was really helpful. So in, in increasingly diverse classrooms, I think that, um, you know, anytime we're, we're trying to adapt 
uh, Shakespeare for the class that's in front of us, um, uh, that that tool was really helpful for me in that regard. So, um, yeah, any t- I, I think anyway, anytime you can, you know, do that to help the kids yeah, understand kind of like, it. Yeah, you're kind of meeting them where they're at right. for that one because right. they can't, like they literally don't speak English yeah. <laughs> to, to be able to even understand what you're talking about in the yeah. class sometimes. So yeah. simplifying it a little bit mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense there. So, mm-hmm. Villain, I have done thy mother. All right. Well, that's that's all we had to talk about today. Um, thank you both so much for joining us. Um, this was a really great conversation. I'm so glad we could talk about this. Uh, a lot goes into this uh, way more than you know me, who's only ever been a student. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the I'm the I'm the odd one out here. I have no idea what you guys do behind the scenes. Uh, so it sounds like it's a lot of work. I'm glad I don't have to do it. Um, but yeah, you're 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 uh, you're bringing Shakespeare to the kids and and trying to instill the the love of it. Uh, in them. And that's, that's really awesome. So um, thank you for sharing all your uh, experiences and, and thoughts and everything. Um, I, I'll do a quick round table. If you have anything else to say, go ahead. If not, that's fine. Uh, Rachel, do you have anything more you'd want to add or anything you want to plug or, I mean, you, your show's coming up, it's going live. Do you want to, do you want to plug a little bit about that? Oh, um, well, um, it, it's not super relevant unless you happen to live in Corvallis, Oregon. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, we're doing our, God, it's probably going to be the last outdoor in person mm-hmm. without masks <laughs> being able to touch each other piece of theater that I do yeah. for the next six months. Um, and it's an outdoor production of The Winter's Tale. I did mm-hmm. the adaptation. Um, that's one of my um, hobbies is adapting Shakespeare nice. because I like doing weird things with it and yeah. I'm we're really excited about it I don't know if everybody's going to know their lines because we threw it together so quickly and yeah. Winter's Tale is a bear uh-huh. you don't I don't <laughs> yes. know how familiar you are with the play but the language <laughs> is so insane it's yeah. all over the place um yeah so that's been fun But I do guess next year, fall 2022, I am directing William Shakespeare's Wars of the Roses, which is a heavy metal adaptation of all three um, Henry VI plays squished into one. And we will probably be live streaming that online because um, my community theater now has the ability to do that because that's how we survived COVID. And um, Mm -hmm. we obviously don't have to pay rights for a Shakespeare play that I adapted. Sure. So uh, we (laughs) can live stream it and I think we're going to, and it's going to be this huge extravaganza telling all three Henry VI plays squished into one play. So every single side plot thrown out and there's going to be heavy metal music <laughs> and a lot of murder and it's going to be amazing. Oh, that's fantastic. Where can people uh, find more information about that uh, next fall, I guess? Majestic.org All is right. the website of the Majestic Theater at which I work and volunteer. Wonderful. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, Francis, any other closing remarks from your end? Anything you'd want to share with our Um, No, I try to stay relatively non-existent on social media (laughs) and things like that. And uh, everyone should go. And um, I definitely will be live streaming Rachel's adaptation. So uh, that's what I want to plug more than anything else. It's Rachel's (laughs) stuff. uh, Because that sounds fantastic. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Awesome. 
Cool, cool. Well, thank you uh, both again so much. Uh, it was really great having you on, and uh, I learned a lot. So uh, as teachers, you've already been a great success today. Uh, you should put yourself on the back. Um, and yeah, this is this has been our teaching episode. Lindsay, any last thoughts no, on your No, I'm just... I should, I should no, it's fine. I, I'm, I'm basking in the glow of, of being around teachers and talking about teaching. It's one of my favorite things to do. So thank you both again for taking time out of your weekend to spend an hour and a half uh, shooting the breeze. This has been great. You're so welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you want to tell us what you think of Shakespeare, his plays, poems, or any of the topics we discuss, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter, that's at the Bixpod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash thebixpod, or by email at thebixpod at gmail.com. That's our cue to exit.